Sounds good. Welcome to the SaaS Product Power Breakfast with uh, Thomas Otter. Um, this week, Dave's uh, Dave's not with me, so I'm I'm uh, guarding the fort alone here. Our special guest this week is uh, Holger Müller. Um, he needs no introduction. Actually, I'll let him introduce himself. Uh, hi, Holger. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Thomas. Great to be here. Uh, I'm not sure what I have to say, but uh, yeah, industry analyst of Constellation Research, covering two areas under the umbrella of enterprise acceleration. One is about people. That's where the overlap comes with Thomas. The other one is about platforms. Used to build software for 25 years, cared for product management all the time, so very much looking forward to this. Cool. It's, 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 yeah, I mean, Holger and I, we, we, we probably go back, I was thinking the other day, it's probably 15 years, you know. Um, I'm thinking back to the, the, to... the funny thing is we switched roles. I was at the vendor, you were an industry analyst, and you were at the vendor, and I was an industry analyst. Now we're both industry analysts. <laughs> yeah, it's funny we went back and back and forward on that one. It's been um, it's been quite a it's been um, uh, quite a thing. So maybe maybe just just um, talk about your maybe your early experience in products, how uh, how you got involved in product management, and we'll talk a little bit of how product management was you know back then and how it is how it's changed you know how you think it's changed or not changed in the meantime. Yeah, that's super interesting. The formal product management part only came when, when we sold the, the startup of Keyphone Fighting up back to SAP in the 90s because uh, our background was we, we built the unproduct in the sense that we uh, were doing a configurable object library for CRM solutions, right? So uh, pretty much uh, there was only a product management committee would say, do you really need a different version of order management for this customer? And if it was really substantially different, you would build that. And that created a, a very interesting um, multifunctional capability, which I still would love to see from any enterprise automation vendor today, where you basically go back and say, oh, this way of doing orders, this way of doing hiring, this way of doing manufacturing planning doesn't fit. Instead of building these guard and chooses universal machines, which always fail because they get too complex, because you have to configure and configure and configure them. And at some point, you just, just space out from them. And the formal part only came really lead SAP, which does, well, you can rate that product management better. <laughs> so so really a good understanding of like long-term planning, short-term planning. But then there were so many changes at the time. So I think the SAP product management discipline in the late 90s with catching up on capabilities like SCM and purchasing and CRM was really not the one like how it used to be or was. So, uh-huh. so really then my first teeth came with Oracle. Uh-huh. I also went in development and had all the aspects of development under me for the first time trying to manage that and I, I like really the the give and take the the go back and forward the the, the the part between product management development where product management has to ask for more and should never be disappointed for not getting everything and it's this partnership with some ingredients of the godfathers and uh, godmothers or god uncles right in quality management and in release management and, and documentation which are all very important feedback parts not to mention even Right, right, and and um, yeah. If you go, if you think back to those days of going from you know a small company into the big, big, big enterprise vendor, that's of course a huge, huge difference. And I think sometimes what people expect, and and when they get acquired, is uh, they expect more sophistication from the from the larger vendor in terms of practices like development practices and product management practices. And that's not always the case. Often the 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 a startup has uh, more modern practices or 
or does things in a more um, a more effective way sometimes than the acquiring company. So sometimes when you get acquired, it's almost it's it's actually a step back rather than a step forward in terms of in in terms of uh, in terms of product practices. So absolutely, I totally agree. Yeah, and, and you're you're an analyst now. You know, you've been an analyst for what? Uh, when did you join? Const- when did you join Constellation then? Eight years plus a month, something like this. Yeah. Wow! Wow! Time flies. Time flies. And 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 now that you're on that side of the that side of the fence, how does it feel? You know. Oh, it's it's fun because um, not many analysts uh, become analysts with a product background, so you kind of like uh, know for having done the other side for twenty five years when people are dancing on the floor or making up stuff <laughs> or, or talking about stuff which isn't realistic. So you can call that out, which is is the best fun part of the job, I would say. Um, so yeah, it's great to have that background and uh, looking at products from that perspective. Yeah, I think I always used to find it. You know, when you, I always found the difference moving from being an analyst to being a to being a product manager. You know, there's a simple one single word which is constraints. You know, when you're when you're an analyst, you 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 can have ideas about products, but you have no idea about managing constraints and uh, and product management fundamentally is about managing constraints. Ideas are. I find quite cheap, you know. Um, I hate to say that, but you know, ideas are much easier and um, uh, than actually making stuff, you know. So, you know, analysts are great for um, you know, often come up with ideas, and they're very useful for helping you validate ideas. But, but you know, scoping is not something that 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 analysts really have any background in. Whereas, whereas you're, you're unusual in that. You're, you're unusual in that regard. You're, you're also yeah. unusual in that you two, you today you cover two. Um, quite meaty research areas um uh you know one of them is kind of the work tech uh, hr tech space that i'm in and then you also do a lot of stuff on 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 more deeper technology platform um, uh platform related things to talk a little bit about the platform related stuff what you're doing in your in your research uh, in your research there yes thank you so, so very very interesting from the perspective that i think it's people and technology which really change what an enterprise can do move faster become more agile what i call enterprise acceleration and you have to get both move along with that right and the basic premise there is that i see that the business best practices of the 21st century have not been established yet and that's a complete nightmare for all the standard software vendors because um, they don't know how things are going, right? The Hustle Plattner said it nicely, talking about product management, right? Two years ago at Sapphire, I, I, I knew the story many years before, having been a board assistant and so on, but <laughs> he, he just said it was easy to build R2. I sat next to the CFO of ICI and he told me how he does stuff and it might be programmed on the mainframe, right? So follow the business user. And this old paradigm that software is the best compromise that the trusted technologists can find has been the best practice of building software, how business users will deal with software for the longest time. Now we live in the era of infinite computing where the cloud all of a sudden gives infinite connectivity, storage, insights, um, computing capabilities, which change everything. So technology can do more than what the business really wants. And that means a very different way of building software and ultimately means the same thing like in Ground Zero, which was the mainframe, uh, that companies have to build their own software. And that's what the research is about. What are the best practices, tools, as a product management strategy aspect in there too, uh, to build these next generation applications, which will hopefully differentiate you from the people who are waiting for the standard software provider to to give them the functionality, which will happen sometimes in five or ten years. I'm pretty sure software standard software will come back, but in the meantime, for the strategic areas, you have to build your own software. 
Right. So, so are you proposing that that, that maybe let's think about how the phrase is that you know in in, in enterprise organisations, so not software vendors, but in companies that are that are you know I don't know Unilevers and Nestle's and you know ABC whatever company it is that that they're actually going to be building more bespoke software, more of their own software, or less of their own software. Which way do you see that going? You have to build your own bespoke, sounds very bad, right? You have to build your own custom or strategic software in the areas where you have to differentiate yourself right now because you cannot wait for the standard software vendors to figure that out because they want to build software for hundreds and thousands of customers. And to be at the point where the software, the best practice established enough that how you could say like in the client server era when SAP became market leader, that this is the way how to do finance, this is the way how to do manufacturing, this is the way how to do HR, those days have not arrived yet. And then you have COVID on top, which was a total wrench in best practices and all that. So I think companies have to build software again, right? Here the, here's the anecdote from the mainframe era, right? So if you bought a mainframe from IBM in the 50s, which I'm about to have, right? But so I note anecdotally that you would not get a discount on the hardware, which is our standard reaction today, even buying a PC. No, you would get developer years from IBM right. to build something on top of that, right? So I think we're in the same phase where you have to not do it for everything, by all means, you don't have to do what uh, Musk did for Tesla, right? He built all ERP software custom in-house. I think that's not the wise solution for the general enterprise. It wasn't wise for Tesla either. I think. Except but HR. HR bought standard software, which is interesting. Um, correct. Yeah. Um, because of the compliance aspect and so on, right? And, and we both know that standard HR software is good in some parts, but it's not great in all of them. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, 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 so going back to that then, you know, we, dig, we peel that back a layer. It implies then that, that the product management function is not the domain of the software vendor. It's also uh, it also needs to be a capacity that that internal organisations develop much more um, much more robustly. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I think it's it's vital for survival because uh, acceleration happens everywhere. Posts are much faster. Consumers are on their smartphones, on their computers. We have connectivity of 6 billion of the 8 billion in the world. If you do something bad and wrongly, they gravitate over. Right? To make a neutral example, uh, we can, on this call, come back up with a better search algorithm for Google. Right? So we just have to write it, which is not too hard. And we have the infrastructure to scale it because you can bet that Microsoft with Azure and and uh, AWS would love to have a search giant scale on their cloud infrastructure. Right? Sure. Google is only only one click away from the better search if someone finds it. Right, right, right. But then, but then, what's your advice for for you know, uh, product management? So people that are interested in product management who work in, say, a Unilever or you know those kind of organizations. What what would you what would your advice be? What would your advice be to them to them today? If you're coming from the business user side, you know the business and the challenges of the business then I think it's all about learning about the technology and what the technology could do, which helps you to differentiate your business and get a strategic advantage. For the product managers or the software vendors, it's all about to really understand the business, how it's being done, and then look in the vision in the, in the, in the glass bowl, right, and see how far can I stretch this elastic to really get differentiating software, which allows me to be the vehicle to help companies to differentiate and disrupt their markets to their own advantage, right? While I obliterate the competition. <laughs> because world domination is always the goal, right? So I think think for software vendor product management, it's super important to really understand the business. 
because you should know the technology. If you don't know the technology, come familiar with it. If you're in the business, see what technology can could do for you. Right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, the, the capabilities are, are so disruptive and so differing that it's often very hard, right? So many, many of the product managers at software vendors even are stuck into the traditional thinking that uh, one of my pet pieces, stuff happens in software only when the user shows up, right? That's, that's wrong, right? That's the operator model that we had in the past, right? Stuff, stuff has to happen in software with the cloud without the user showing up. Software has to call the user to show up because the user has to make a decision. But that mentality is not there. Yeah, I mean, my, my argument was always the best UI is no UI. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So yeah, if you, you can... can the same, same thing, right? So don't get me started on UI, right? Because the approach to UI is, oh, we hired this great UI consultant and so on. And now we're going to talk to users and really figure out how they're, how they're working instead of saying, okay, let's look at the logs and see what they're doing. Uh, let's see if we even need a UI because speech works good enough, right? So um, even Microsoft, I did this for the first time. PowerPoint, I was surprised. I mean, you guys might be closer to that, right? You go in presentation mode and listens to the to the audience in the room and subscribes to subtypes. I know you're you're a big fan of yeah. usability. I was super surprised how well that worked with the PC room. We had our offsite with 20 people in the room uh, from people coming in on Zoom, and it subscribed pretty flawlessly. Even got my name right, which is always difficult, right? Because of mainstream English name. So I might, I might have bias to think it works great. So super interesting what technology can do and provide these days, which you don't even think will work, right? So that's interesting. Yeah, there's the, 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 you know, accessibility, we could go, we could like go into that. We could spend, we could spend some time on accessibility. I'm always nervous about talking accessibility when I'm on, uh, you know, I feel a bit hypocritical talking about accessibility when I am on the world's most inaccessible platform at the moment. But um, yeah. uh, that's yeah. a whole other. We could, we could spend a whole whole podcast on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah the whole whole point uh, uh, on that. I, I'm you know, going back to the point we you sort of hinted at it when you start to talk about logs. Um, my, my theory is that the you know the biggest change in product management in the last five years has been um, you know as we've matured into into you know as cloud has become the dominant design. Has, is data-driven product management. Um, the, the ability you have now as a product manager to make uh, product decisions based on, on, on you know, data coming out of your, your systems in terms of uh, user adoption, in terms of uh, uh, transaction performance, um, in terms of you know, things like usability, for instance, um, really shifts um, a lot of product management, um, um, you know, a, lot, a lot of product management thinking. And um, this is where I find that the startups are often ahead of the enterprise vendors is in the the analytics that they bring to bear on the uh, software, you know, on the software creation process through you know listening to customers, understanding what 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 users are actually doing with the with the product, understanding which APIs are being called the most, etc. Uh, etc. Et that this shift to a more um, um, uh, data driven product management, I find uh, you know I find fascinating. Yeah, and, and that makes it so much easier, right? But on the flip side, there's a creative part and there's an efficiency management part. So absolutely right, data management. Um, we, we used to drive your car in for maintenance. The first thing is they hook it up to their mess stand, whatever, their computer to figure out what you did with your car. I mean, that's the same thing which continuously should be happening for software, right? And change the software the same, saying, hey, Thomas, hey, Olga, I know you, you can't find this functionality. Here's the link for it, or here's how you find it easier. So this over-the-shoulder watching without being 
creepy and scary to a certain point, but helping people to do what they do because nobody is there to use their HR solutions or their planning solutions for their job. That's not their job. It's just a tool. Uh, will, will be super, super, super important. But then the challenge really I see is, Thomas, is the data-driven part you have to do. It's a must-do discipline for product management. The challenging part is the creative part of saying, understanding the business good enough and say, yes, we can do a purely, let's make an HR example, purely voice-driven UX. Yeah. The giving up on the street. Yeah. That is plausible. The inflection point is there. The users are there. You can build this. You can differentiate yourself. Yeah. And then that takes guts and that takes looking in the future ball. That takes, if you're large vendors, some hedging probably too, if something goes lower or not. But that, that, these guts and product management, those visionary strategic leaders, I mean, the, the Steve Jobs for enterprise software, uh, I hope they don't have to be born, <laughs> but I, I hope that they, they, they can do something radical because what we see right now is complete best practice automation inertia, right? I mean, look at a market leader like, like Salesforce and they don't know uh, what the future of CRM is, right? Look at uh, how SAP struggles with the future of ERP and all their competitors as well, right? And, and that has to change, right? But unless it changes straight from my perspective, when I say for companies to say, I can't wait, I don't want to tell SAP, Oracle, Info, and so on how to do ERP, um, I'm just going to build the strategic parts myself where I think I can differentiate myself in manufacturing with one-to-one uh, marketing and one-to-one manufacturing mass customization in finance where I can simulate things better, where I go to a zero finance organization in HR, where I implement something I talk about a lot, the talent depth chart to figure out who are the best people in which place and so on. So, mm-hmm. so these things we build in-house and then you have to have some product management capability for that as well. Right, right. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, yeah, one of the things related to that is this shift to, to, I'm hesitant to use the term low code, but, but the, the engineering tooling has got a lot better for, for these kind of, uh, these kind of developments than even a few years ago. So the, the, the DIY technologies, if you like, have improved, have improved to such an extent that it, that, that, you know, the abilities of, you know, a business analyst, uh, you know, combined with, you know, one or two engineers can do you know so much more in a corporate context than than perhaps even 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 three or five years ago. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And but but the the, the and the low code no code is super important. I always jokingly say, finally, business users own their own automation destiny. But let's keep in mind, it's the automation destiny on top of the API which have been built. If the API is an old best practice which doesn't help me today. I'm dead in the water as well because I can't do something major, major where full code is required. Right? But it doesn't right. make it less important. Uh, but it's just basically, uh, if I want to build a Lego toy, <laughs> I need a brick which Lego hasn't provided or I don't own. I can't build it, right? So that's the low-code, no-code conundrum. Yeah, I saw changing subject totally. I saw a very weird Lego Lego moment yesterday. I had some 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 gun company in America and actually built a Lego gun, you know, that actually worked as a gun, shot a real bullet. And um, yeah, I, I thought of all, all, the, all the stupid things you could do, that would be pretty high on the list. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. I always I always say the people who are these fans of the the three um, uh, D design and the printed uh, toys, saying like you 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 should be going back to the uh, rise of the Iron Age when the first guys of iron swords fought the guys of bronze swords. Right? But more importantly, last kilometer going up, loose Adi Den and its uh, four leaders, and interestingly, Enric Maas. Finally, seems to have a good day in attack and leaving Pogacar, Vingador, and Carapaz in the 
Okay, cool. So I have your full attention, Holger. That's really, really nice. Absolutely. That's really, really no, nice. Of course, we, we talk about product management. You have to multitask. Right? One thing we learned during the, the the pandemic is that even men can multitask. Right? Women are generally genetically, I think, superior in that. Yeah, so we have to learn a little bit. Right, right. So, so folks, any questions from the from the um, from the audience? This is recorded, um, uh, and so if there are questions, please uh, please raise your hand, and I'll have you up on the have you up on the panel. So, um, good if you've got questions for Holger. It can be about anything; doesn't have to be just product management. It can be about any of the application areas that it, that uh, any of the the um, the application areas that he um, he covers and then he works in. So, questions for anybody that would be. That would be great. I have a couple more for I have a couple more for Holger. Um, Holger, I'm going to ask you something. You know, you having grown up and worked in Germany and now living in San Diego, um, talk about some of the the cultural differences about um, you know software companies and product management from from um, from country to country. You know, comparing you know how things have been for you uh, uh, building products in, in in Germany compared to now now being in the US. You know. Talk me through some of the cultural differences. We've had we've had a couple of other talks on that, and it's always been a, a, a fascinating topic. Great question. Just to update everybody, Pogacar won, countered, Vingegaard second, Carapaz third, and Mars pays for his attack. From wow, that sounds the yeah. same as yesterday. Wow. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. So uh, interesting, man. The same shape like yesterday. Some things don't change. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. Very big. The cult. The biggest cultural difference that strikes me is the the frequency of doing. Right. So the U.S. in general, not just in product management, is one of this one-to-one meeting, which has to happen weekly. For I, I haven't figured out. I'm trying to research these things, and at the time, I haven't figured out. If anybody knows, educate me. Why is it weekly compared to Europe, where it's bi-weekly? If usually for my jobs, it was always monthly, right? And and then there's this inherent fear in the U.S. Oh God, my manager canceled the one-to-one. Am I at risk? Or something is not happening. That creates a very fast-driven Part which often has lots of inertia in the process, right? Because the weekly meeting on status, people are late to join, physical or virtual, you don't get that time out. Whereas in Europe, things run on a longer cycle in general, also in product management, where you have the monthly, daily meeting, full, full day meeting to figure something out, right? And I think ideally the world would be in Greenland, somewhere in between, right. <laughs> where, where you find the, the medium part, because I find the European things often too slow and not reactive enough to what is happening, and that's creating a lot of noise on top of that because, of course, customers can't wait for a month and so on. Now, on the flip side, the weekly thing is, 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 is not ideal. So when I run product teams, I usually try to implement the, the bi-weekly part, right? You work for one week, and then we review for the day of the next week or something like this, which right. I think is the compromise from the calendar perspective. Uh, and then you have, of course, a much more cultural diversity in the U.S., right, especially in software, lots of immigration, like we being one of them. Um, then you have typically, in, if you go to Europe, to any vendor in the U.K., in France, in Italy, in Germany, where there 80% is, is local, if, if, if you're right. lucky, if not before. And that changes, of course, the perspective, because software, like we joked, right, is a world domination. So the sooner you understand how the world works differently in different parts, the more successful your products will be. And, and you're at risk not having that diversity um, and the global understanding of cultural differences um, in, in your product team that will hurt you, right? It will open up your eyes. That's that's what I would say out of the bat. Right, right, right. And and um, you know, I, I I was feeling a bit depressed about the the state of the European European software industry 
And uh, I'm starting to change my mind. Um, you know, I'm seeing emergence of a you know, new wave, um, you know, some out of France, where I'm actually in Paris today, I've been meeting with a couple of couple of clients. But um, uh, in, in Germany at the moment, I'm seeing um, a lot of um, uh, innovation emerging, you know, in, in an interesting area. And, and it's kind of like a return to process. Um, um, you know, you had it like, you know, 20, 30 years ago with, with, with Idea Share, but I'm seeing with, you know, the emergence of Salonis and then, you know, Signavio that was acquired by SAP, Camunda, um, uh, um, companies like um, uh, Lean IX and so on. There's mm-hmm. kind of a new, there's a new energy in, 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 um, in, in German software, which, which, um, which makes me feel, uh, which, which is, I think is quite positive. Do you, do you feel the same or, or, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Yes, I, I to fully give credit to the the BPM folks. I mean, Telonis has done a great job, right? When was the last time a European software company has created a category, right? The UI path, which comes from Romania, right? And from the low code, no code, sorry, on the, on the BPM or building bridging gaps, right? Low code, no code wise, this is another example, but there are not many of those. The yeah. problem I see is they don't manage to build it as a lasting category, right? So. Uh, low-code, no-code applications only sit on the tectonic plates provided by the bigger vendors, right? So you can't bring the really true innovation. You make lots of people happy, let them own their automation destiny. Uh, process mining is a great example. I think an alert, if I would be at a ERP vendor, I would say, guys, in product management strategy, you can never have this happen again, right? How can a third-party software make a living, cost us, I don't know what the SAP paid for, scenario, um, to tell us what is happening in our system? I mean, it's embarrassing to our own customers, right? So this should never happen again, right? Um, if it's across systems, different story, right? That's the opening or not opening part. But, I mean, if you look at how well Salonis has been resold as a partner, that, that should never happen. It's embarrassing, right? And I always joke that's a typical SAP reaction goes in five phases, right? The first phase is, no, it's not a thing. The next thing is, no, we do it better and differently. The third thing is, oh, shit, customers are using it. The fourth one is, we have to build it, but we fail. And the fifth one is, we buy someone, <laughs> in yeah. a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. You can comment and correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't. No, I, well, but, you know, we, we, I, I need to be careful about what I say about my my my, my former employer, no, I, but I, I will not. Uh, the, reaction, the reaction at Oracle or at Workday is pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. A uh, um, whole lot of talk we could do about about acquisitions and the and the the, the failures thereof. I think, um, but it's quite interesting to see how this whole market of of the whole refocus and rethinking on process has come about. I'm, I'm quite excited about it. I think it's it's innovative. I like Lean IX as well. I don't know whether you'd look to look at look at that vendor, but I'm I'm very impressed with what they're doing in terms of you know a more um, uh, a thoughtful approach to allowing companies to understand their architectures. So I've been very impressed with that. And Camunda, the, the who probably is I think for me one of the most interesting players in the workflow space. So. So some interesting uh, innovations and Camunda's I think interesting for me, but also. Because of its um, of its open source um, its open source based strategy, which is which is which is nice to see as well. Yeah, the tremendous uh, tremendous uh, advantages, upsides in open source. The interesting thing is nobody has made open source work successfully in business applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the technology platform world runs on open source. Large vendors, right? Inflection point, whatever. Sure. You know, Oracle twenty years ago, and Oracle gave up on building their application server and started using Apache, right? IBM stopping their application server and, and using open source uh, about 12 years ago or so. I mean, those were the big inflection points for me to say this open source thing for platform really works. 
then can also fail, right? Look at the destiny of Caldera and Fortworks as an example on, on something which is like totally driving what we're doing right now. Listening to the data, as you said, sure. is only enabled by big data Hadoop style technologies, which haven't really reached the business application space, which is a tremendous point of innovation from that perspective. Yeah, but, I mean, it's interesting, the whole economics of open source. We've had a couple of chats on that on, on, on you know, in previous shows. I've, I've also wondered why sometimes, um, you know, application capabilities like you know, if you take things like payroll requirements, you know, why is it that, that, that you know, people don't contribute, you know, why isn't there for legal requirements, for payroll updates and so on, you know, why, why don't those things, why haven't those things migrated to open source? There's probably some, there's probably a clever reason why they haven't, but I've not figured it out yet, you know. Well, to, to, to me, it's the maintenance, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so, so open source works great on technology where you layer on and you place and you don't have, Cancer is a bad thing, right? But 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 cancer-like, mushroom-like, growing, adding, 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 and with that getting slower and potentially more complex to implement. But that's the nature of enterprise software, and right. that's what customers need. They want to have the maintained part. They want to have the slow down pace. Um, my my big eye opener on that was uh, in the '90s to talk SAP as an example again, um, where where. My startup got acquired for CRM expertise, and customers literally were saying, "Do not build CRM in R3 because we have our rollout plan. It took us long enough to decide for that. We don't want to jeopardize anything of this. We will only buy that if you do it separate. If you decide to put it into R3, we'll look at Tibble, our own, whatever, Clarify, Ventive, the alternative they had at the time. Right? So it's interesting also how. But then they would say that, and then six months later they would change their mind and demand a whole lot of integration. So. Um, more, yeah, of course. More like six years later when they woke up to it, right? But but the, the integration argument, I had that with many decision makers at the time, and they said, look, um, I'm, I can't jeopardize my larger piece, the ERP rollout, and I'm happy to suffer the integration tax, which I will have, right? right. Uh, that SAP then would make potentially so painful to integrate, but it also led to SAP neglecting the integration effort, right, which is only now coming really to fruit from the Christian Klein as CEO saying, yeah, we have to do more integration, right? Which is a welcome, refreshing change that customers have been saying for a long time. But this is also the think a key lesson for product management strategy. You cannot always listen to your customer. Yeah. Because the customer doesn't know. Right. So SAP clearly went into a dead end listening to their customers, creating all these my SAP, CRM, SRM and so on other parts uh, back in the nineties, which they're now trying to catch up slowly but steady. Yeah, I'd say in enterprise, you know, enterprise software, you, you, yeah, I mean, Dave and I talked about a couple of times is you need to, you need to know who your ideal customers are, right? And, yeah, and that, you know, that, who that, you that, listen that, to for what. So it's it's not the customers that shout the loudest, you know. It's not the customers that you've had. The, it's not always the customers you've had the longest, you know. So again, I again keep talking about SAP, but you know, it's great, you know, that you do pilot projects with Colgate and you know the the, the those companies and that you know they, they, those companies play a very important role in society and they, they've been important companies and so on. They've been very successful, but you know, if 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 all you ever if you're building software you know, all the time listening to the same type of customer, then you build the same type of product. And, um, you know, every now and again, I think you need to think like, like, um, yeah, am I building products for the next generation of, of Fortune 100 companies or am I still building products for a previous generation of Fortune 100 companies? And um, I think that's a big factor in mature software companies is, is you know, uh, be careful who you choose, to be careful which customers you listen to. Um, and you need to you need to think quite quite carefully about who who you actually are, 
you are um, you are listening to. I have another story about integration, which I want to raise. Is that that you know integration is a um, is a, such a loaded word, and the the problem I see with integration is that that people see integration as as an end goal, and integration is a is a is just a means to a better business process or uh, better analytics or whatever it is. So integration on own. when people say, yeah, oh, we need more integration, it's a little bit like saying we need more weather. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it might be an accurate, typically it's an accurate statement, but it's not a particularly useful one. And, you know, I always have kind of kept people saying, well, what integration do you need for, for what purpose? You know, because every time you build an integration, every time you, you, you slow down, you slow things down because, you know, you, you have, if you have two teams building products and then you have to build integration, well, they always take twice as long because you have, you have both sides of that equation to, to, to align and to, and to manage and dependencies and so on. And, you know, the other problem is often with integrations is it's not clear, you know, what system is the, is the lead system and what system is the, is the subservient system. And, 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 you know, thinking those those processes through, it's very dangerous to do it in the abstract. You need to do it in the context of customers, but you also need to do it in the context of the of the of the right of of the of the right customers. So so integration is a really sort of painful and and and, and complicated and um, uh, complicated topic. And it's and it's you know I think if I look at software acquisitions, um, you know I, I tend to advise software companies not to do integrations uh, straight away and to hold back until they really understand what integrations really need to be, you know, really need to be built, you know, because what you end up doing is you end up building what you think you think you need to build. And, you know, once you actually have customers using the products, you suddenly find out that, well, actually that integration is not actually that important. And um, again, it goes back to talking to your customers, but, Integrations, I, th- I found in my career, have been particularly hard to understand from a product management perspective, because they're very, very hard to scope and prioritize. Yeah, I totally agree. Integration is is a book with seven questions or whatever. Seven. It's very, very difficult when you think you know it and you don't know it. Right? And it's moving. I think that's a very important lesson learned. The best practice of what needs to be integrated and how it needs to be integrated is moving. The yeah. great news, in my view, is that much of the business application integration. Should we at the cusp of having that automated by software, right? I mean, the day where a human has to go in and say, hmm, this is a zip code, this is a postal code, this is pretty much the same thing, I want to map these for integration into whatever I want to integrate, that should not be happening anymore, right? And there's enough data and enough software to, to make a lot of the business with simple integration happening automatically, right? And I'm, I'm waiting for the integration vendors to step up and saying, just, just give me the data, and then maybe you prove what you want to integrate, and uh, so, so much of the headache should go away. Yeah, and you, just build yeah. Your and you might have a new thing and a new, new schema and so on, like the, the never do thing in ERP because of the upgrade cost and so on. All that is a, a thing of the past that uh, you should uh, have the best. I, I don't know. I'm less I'm, I'm less optimistic than you are on that, just because I've spent most of my life trying to integrate HR and payroll systems together. So. You know, um, yeah, but, but if you think about it, if you think about it, it's always the same integration so far. Mm-hmm. Yep. at the end of the day right? and if you have data in both systems if you give me the outcome of the data right? The, one of my favorite topics which is like something which was rocket science 10 years ago and I tried that 
can conceal my link. Well, I can say I was a blockade. I went and be researched on that. Right? Can I do the setup of a payroll when I have enough paychecks? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and now we have the leader in payroll about mentioning them this time, <laughs> but it's a semi-official public is uh, setting up payroll that way. Yeah, sure. But it's not permutations, right? I can go backwards. So similar, if I have the integration of two things in the past, I should be able to figure out from software and maybe some hand-holding more at the beginning how things could and should be integrated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's there's something to that, but I'm just I'm just you know I just think that that stuff you know England will win the World Cup before that uh, before that gets before we solve that problem you know with a penalty shootout. <laughs> I'm afraid that will not happen in our lifetime, and I hope the problem will be solved in our lifetime. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. right, right. Yeah. yeah, interesting lessons learned from a product management perspective, right? And if you want to talk about something else in software, right? So. You yeah, figure uh, out you like like Gate Forty has the best practice from the first penalty win. I don't know in how many years, and it falls down in the second application of it. Right, so it turns out best practice of capturing is not that easy, even a simple thing like penalty kicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You you would think so. You would think it. Would, yeah, but again, it's all about it's all about it's the, the frailty of human beings. I think is is the is the is the is the challenge there. It's it's uh, anyway. We won't we won't go into we won't go into the. Uh, the the details of football. Just congratulations to the Italians for that for that uh, for that effort, folks. Uh, uh, questions from the floor. I see Simon. Uh, uh, Simon's around. Simon, um, how's things? How's things for you? It's not great back home at the moment. Let me just let him in. He's not there. Okay, he's on mute. Let me let him in. Simon, are you, are you in? Hey Simon. Yeah, Simon from cold Johannesburg. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, if if you're asking about what's been happening in the last few days, it seems that fortunately the uh, things have quietened down now. Um, okay, good. You know, <laughs> they've deployed over twenty thousand troops around the country now. It's this is we're going back to what things were like in the apartheid days when we had trouble. Um, okay. But no, the, the the problem is going to be that the um, with the looting of the malls and the, 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 the malls, whatever you want to pronounce it, and the shopping centers and the shops is what people are going to eat or what, what they're going to be able to find to eat in the next few days, especially in, wow. the, in the poor areas. I mean, where I am, northern Johannesburg, basically it's okay. Right. Um, but, yeah, no. Yeah. So, no, I mean, the, the reason that, that I just, I just back-channeled, you're the first one I've tried to back-channel on, so... Yeah, it was just to say that you talk about integration. I was just working to, working with a client the other day, um, talking to one of their 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 integration team, and they said, you know, no one knows what 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 integration requires until they actually get into it, um, because you discover that there are business rules that people forgot, and there are business issues that people forgot because the you know the, the system's been around for so long. The people who did it left, and um, yeah, so that's that's really what I was. What I what I sent you a comment on the back channel was, right. but otherwise, as I said, hopefully, um, uh, hopefully in South Africa things will things are going to start quietening down and we'll be able to we won't, we won't get back to normal for a while, but at least um, maybe okay. we can start well, helping. And what we have to start doing is helping yeah. the people who are going to struggle. Anyway, that's it. So, thanks. Right. Well, thanks, Simon. Thanks. Great. To, great to hear from you. Yeah. yeah. Stay safe. Good luck. Yeah. So so I'll go back to the you know I want to take us back to the to the discussion on the um, um, on the process you know goes back to the point that 
Simon was making there about about um, uh, uh, process mining. Do you, you know how big do you think process mining could be as a as a sector? As a, you know, do you think this is really really you know ERP changing or or is it something that's going to be consumed into into core business applications over time? Well, hopefully for all of us, it's going to be consumed. As a as a core application thing to know what's happening in your software, right? It would be terrible if you need third party software and certain category for this every time, right? But it comes back to to listening and seeing what's happening in the software, which people aren't doing enough. Back to your point of data driven, right? What if I would analyze as an ERP vendor what is happening integration wise with all my implementation at any given moment, any given time? Right. Yeah, which is technically possible and commercially payable, right? And so why don't I enhance uh, better integrations at some point, or why don't I suggest integrations? Somebody has done this. I mean, just think from error perspective. My example always is the, the 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 problem of the world having a dateline, which starts in New Zealand, right? So, so assume something breaks between Salesforce and Workday. No, right. I'm not blaming anybody, but something breaks. Somebody's having a bad time in Auckland, New Zealand, right? So I can understand people in Australia right next to it will have a bad time because there's not enough time for the Kiwis to sort it out for the Aussies, right? right. But why does someone in Europe, seven, eight, nine hours have a bad time? Why does somebody get yelled in Hawaii 23 hours later for the same standard integration breaking? Right. right? So we're still doing software and operating software as if we were living in the artisanal on a single farm operation, right? which is, okay, the global farm for an enterprise. But we're not looking from a vendor perspective to help customers just for the support case of a, a banal uh, mapping not working, right? But it breaks down, right? The interface is not running. Boom. Uh, big problem, right? We're not getting our orders over today. And that happens thousands of times depending on installation. And that's just mind-numbing to me from my perspective, right? And that, that solution, everybody knows you could do this, yeah? Uh, are we doing it? That's the question. Yeah. But listen but then, to the data and capture the data. The data. We're not set up at the moment for for collaboration between vendors. Yeah. Yeah. No. But just do it for the vendor. Start there. Right. right? So, so one one of them was at fault. Right. Somebody called Salesforce a workday in my example, and they say, "Oh shoot! Here's the fix. So here's your workaround. Here's what you have to do." Right. Why does it have to happen thousands of times? And this is the problem. Um, which which I learned like early studying in Mannheim, right, where one professor, I forgot his name, uh, talked me about the difference between efficiency and effectiveness, right? Efficiency is, are we doing things right? Yeah, and that's what uh, successful companies, no matter where, try to scale, right? They try to get bigger. They try to grow. We found a way of doing this and we do the same thing. We have more support codes. We have enough money. We hire more support people. Or we need better tools for the support people because we can't hire more of them. It's all efficiency thing. Right? Whereas effectiveness thinking is, are we doing the right things? And effectiveness thinking always disappears as you're trying to scale. We know all scale platforms are so important. But we, I wish we had more effectiveness thinking, are we doing the right things on the new technology-enabled parts, right? Not just in general, but what could technology do, right? And you should monitor as an ERP vendor all your integrations at customers, and you should notice and tell them, hey, something's failing, something's not working, because automated anyway. Right. Think about it, it's all code, right? The code, low code is a manifestation which machines can read and understand. So why don't you bring it back to a business level to understand what has been built there, feed like your your product roadmap from low-code, no-code integration built by third parties on top of you, which should be something you'd be listening into, and which you cannot process um, from a human perspective. You cannot process anecdotally because you made the great point of picking the right customers to listen to. 
But you can process it from a machine perspective by having machines look at all the low-code, no-code somebody built to integrate things, for example, work there in Salesforce. And so if we take that back a bit. If you, if you look, you know, if you go to your other research area where you've been looking more mm-hmm. at the, sort of the platform technologies and so on, you know, there's been a tremendous um, uh, wave of innovation in the last, you know, you know, four or five years in terms of things like observability um, in in, in uh, continuous delivery and continuous monitoring in, uh, um, you know, um, um, flag deployments, canaries, you know, the, there's a whole sort of language of of tech, not of DevOps technologies or, or of, or of, of uh, approaches to to building better software um, mm-hmm. and and operating better software, and um, I'm hopeful that some of the practices from engineering will now morph into into business practices. You know, um, we've seen that a bit, I think, with agile moving from being something that purely happened in IT to you know you know happening in other business practices. I've you know I've been seeing some companies doing agile HR, for instance. You know where they have stand-ups and they say, you know, what are the issues, and they plan, and they don't do projects that are six months anymore. They do, they do, they do, you know, uh, you know, continuous deliveries of policy improvements and so on and so on and so on. And so I'm seeing you know, elements of of you know product management and um, and engineering techniques shifting from. Uh, the world of code into the world of in, into the world of, of business seems like it on this process side that's exactly what's needed, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the challenge there for me is, um, as you mentioned, that is we still build too much software in this driver model. Right? I always ask people to make the mental model of um, think of a self-driving car, and ninety-five percent of people when they think of real-world picture think they're sitting in the car. But right. most of us know how to drive the car, and while it's nice to be on your phone doing, doing a clubhouse meeting and not having to pay attention to traffic, the real innovation is that the self-driving car will drive your kids to their activities, will find the parking spot as you go into a restaurant, will show up as you get out of the restaurant. Yeah. Right? And self-driving software is really what we need to architect, and I think that's where the next effectiveness change, the next breakthrough is coming from. The sooner you have that mentality that good things have to happen in software by itself in the 21st century because the infrastructure platform capability is there, the more successful you will be. Right? All the low-code, no-code means people taking time over the busy days to build something, which is great if it works for them and it helps them. Empowerment is super important. But should it even have been built? Right? Could it have been suggested to them, hey, Thomas built this thing and he's doing similar things like you, Holger. Why don't you use the same thing and say, duh, can do something else, which Thomas might do, right? So this is not happening. This is the open source power, right, on the coding level. Sure. But the open source power from best practices from automation perspective has not happened despite we're talking about community longer. I mean, I didn't have gray hair when the community of Hong Kong started. Right? Sure. So that's a, one of my big riddles in, in the whole industry. Right? I, I want to switch up a, a second and talk about something that we, we've spoken about before on the show, but, you, you know, you're an analyst, um, uh, what's your advice to to product managers in in engaging with with you know analysts like yourself? Um, we've spoke a bit about you know how they work with with the bigger firms, but you know as you talk a little bit for a couple of minutes about Constellation and what you guys do, and and what does it mean? You know, what's your suggestion for for you know people perhaps at three stages? If you're a startup, you know, if you're a scale up, and if you're if you're an enterprise vendor. Yeah, what's your advice for, for engaging with, with firms like yours? 
well, there's a golden rule to get anybody's time and attention is uh, do something interesting and different, right? <laughs> right. I think that's applicable across all the sizes, right? The more interesting, entertaining, applicable, uh, different uh, you can make it, the better. And then, of course, not only tease it, but live up to that, right? But um, Constellation is kind of like a little bit unique, and all analyst firms think they're unique, so they won't protest. But we look at how technology changes best practices and uh, maybe enables new business models, right? That's the whole focus of the company. And that's different from many of the larger brothers and sisters we have in the industry, which cover everything the CIO buys, right? And there's many things the CIO buys which are important, like servers, networking, storage, but we have nobody covering that because it's, it's, it's efficiency business, right? It's not changing changing your business, right? To race to the bottom or whatever you want, right? With some innovations, of course, like every area. So I think that the key thing is like, understand what the firm your briefing is all about, right? I mean, obviously, I want to have numbers when I speak to our friends at IDC. Obviously, I want to be up to speed what's happening in the tragic quadrants when you speak to our friends at Gardner. When you speak to Constellation, talk to us about what makes your different business difference, what makes your software difference, how you plan to differentiate further, and then what are the customer proof points, right? So all Constellation... To, to finish on that part on the pitch is built on case studies. We think nothing is better than a case study showing what a customer has done successfully with software. And the great thing is we even write them neutral, right, to the level of the customer saying that the customer's part, not the vendor saying that, what have they done with that software and how is that an innovative thing has led to an ROI to business post improvement. That's a great showcase for the vendor. So tip for anybody briefing installation, come up with some interesting customer stories. Right, right. I think that goes for most vendor, most vendors, most analyst, um, you know, most analyst briefings. But there's two parts of the equation. One is the you know you briefing the you know you briefing the analysts, which is you know it's important that the analysts get to know what you do. They're a useful channel to to um, you know inform and you know amplify your message. That's you know, a good part of the equation. But you know. What sort of advice do you are you able to provide to to uh, product managers in particular? Yeah. How does the as the advisory part of the game work? So there's the, the 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 outbound part of it, but talk to me a little bit about the inbound you know inbound advisory. How do you do that? Well, do the homework on the background of the analyst, know what the analyst has written, talked about, right, and see if that is helpful for you in your current role with your product, right. So there's some which can be super helpful in a certain phase, and others which uh, and they will not be helpful there, right? The problem is, again, we, we do human relations where we think people are friends, and people can, of course, be friends <laughs> between software vendors and industry analysts. But understand the, the skill and the added value the analyst brings to you in the current phase of your product. That's something I'm missing way too much, right? And, and still hold connections say, look, it was great. You helped us get the product out the door. Now I have to slew with the Gardner guys to get in the tragic quadrant or whatever. Um, that's totally understandable. Right? So we all understand the different roles, different analyst communities play. And I think catering to that, depending on the product, where you are in the product lifecycle, that's really the art for product management, product marketing to interact with industry. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Which often is just the machine gun, right? We're briefing them all the same with the same deck, <laughs> with the quotes from the competition. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be the. the I mean, I, I did a review for a for a client of mine recently, and they were they were they were going to present to to one of the bigger one of the big vendors, and you know one of the one of the first things in the deck was a was a quote from an independent, and I just said that's probably not a good idea. You know, if if you're going to quote analyst research, you should quote the research from the from from the the firm you're meeting with. Um, right. You know, you don't like it. You wouldn't like it if they they pitch to you, 
and they talk about what a great job Oracle was doing. Um, right. You know, so turn it around. Even from I'm, I'm not working for a large vendor. As large vendor, I would like think, oh, that's cute. You have the independent guy there. If you turn it the other guy around and you have the quote from the large firm, the independent thinks right away, you won't have any money to do work with me. So right. it's even worse. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's totally. Yeah. It's totally not. It's totally not it's ideal. A mistake. It's a mistake. It's not the biggest mistake you can do. <laughs> no, no, but it's it, it does it does it does set you up for does set you up for failure and for it's it's you already start digging the hole if you if you uh, if you if you do that you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so so Holger I mean we jumped around a bit but but you know I want to talk to you about UI right um, you know we could probably spend the last last five minutes or so talking about uh, uh, talking about UI um, yeah you've been big on you've been big on voice. Um, mm-hmm. For a while, I'm, I'm less big on voice, but you're 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 big on um, the importance of voice as a as, as a UI. Talk us through talk us through your current thinking in terms of user experience and and and, and you know where you think it's going and, and what you think. Uh, yeah, you know, if you're a, if you're an HR tech product manager, for instance, at the moment, what what should you be thinking about in terms of user experience? Yeah, no, I mean, like you said before, right? And we said many about that, right? No UI is the better UI, right? You, uh, you should be measured that people spend less time if they're business users in your application, if you're an HR application, because <clears throat> nobody, uh, I, I'm a salesperson, a sales manager in my territory, I missed two quarters of my revenue, um, but because I filled out the performance management application so good, I'm not, I'm going to keep my job, right? Nobody's going to do that, right? So you have to make sure that your software is lean and minimally invasive and not wasting time at all for, um, for, for the real objective of the business user. And, People speak faster than they can type, right? There's no question about it, right? And uh, assistants can unearth the thing I need to do, like take a vacation, uh, know how many vacation days I have, change an address much, much faster than clicking through some menus, which, I mean, how often do you move at the same vendor? Maybe one or two times during the tenure at the vendor. So how could you remember possibly the UI changes where the change home address things, right? So and I think that's the, the, the dead end we've been going with, like making the UI more intuitive. Instead of meeting the users where they are, exposing capabilities and where they spend time, have to spend time like an email or collaboration things like Slack and Teams. And I think that's a much, much more successful role. So your UI has to take a back step. And the more you can do in voice, this is doing really well. And not for putting a vendor ahead of here, like Oracle switched all their self-service for employees and managers to voice. And the adoption of that is, is, is phenomenal. Right? If right. you see to any user accidentally meet them at a private functions, say, oh, I always like to ask what, what HR system does the larger company use, and it's always good to have the user perspective. And uh, everybody says, once once switch to voice, I mean, I'm, I'm doing so much more in HR, <laughs> which you would never hear from a user. Right? Right. So wow. I can find okay. things, I can do things. So it shows that UX has been much more barrier than enabler by not thinking out of the box of what technology can do. It's a perfect example, in my view, how technology changes the best practice, how to build software and how to use software. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that we're moving to conversational user experience. I'm mm-hmm. less convinced that it's about voice. Um, um, I watch how, you know, most of my my family communicates with each other, and it's and it's it's not through voice. It's through, you know, it's through um, um, uh, um, oh. chat and emojis and things. You know, um, oh, I'm not oh, sure oh, if oh, you're going to oh, have oh. emoji emoji. Uh, uh, emoji UIs, but um, yeah, maybe that's the next thing. 
Yeah, sure. Look, look, I'm putting in my employee feedback, I'm unhappy, and the system tells me, oh, that's because your, your paycheck didn't come in, or because your performance rating was bad. So uh, I react to that, right? An emoji, of course, can say more than a thousand words. But I think the difference is what you're talking with family, friends, mostly is asynchronous information. And that's where voice is not efficient. Yeah. Like my, my dad, who is over 80, right? I mean, uh, uses his uh, WhatsApp successfully, but sometimes the button for voice recording versus speech recognition is confusing. He doesn't want to go back, right? And I hate right. nothing more than having to listen to two minutes of a voice message of my dad instead of scanning and going through it. But when it comes to uh, me working with software or people working with software with technology, voice completely rules, right? I mean, if you ever have cooked uh, with an uh, assistant like Amazon's Alexa or Google, Google Home, it's, it's mind-changing, right? The mm-hmm. whole, how many times have you gone to clean your hands to turn the page or read again in the cookbook? compared to saying, next step, repeat the step, tell me this again, how does this work, what was the temperature? I mean, if, if you're cooking, as an example, how much voice can do, because you have to use your hands, right? Your hands are out right. of picture for typing, or like, like uh, you use your, your, your iPad or whatever you might have in the kitchen before to go back and forward, and you have all the stains there. So the voice clearly rules for that. So right. in, the, in the car, same thing, right? So I mean, in the hotel room, I was super skeptical. I mean, we were like early, Amazon was showing us um, that they're putting Alexas into hotel rooms. But now if I go into a hotel room and say, open the blinds, turn off the lights, turn on the TV, I don't have to find find those things. It's, it's, it's a massive difference in user experience. I would never personally have thought that would work so well. But this week I was in Las Vegas with the Vidara. I couldn't find the buttons to open the shades. So two minutes spent in a dark hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> to see what's going on outside, right? Would have been like the VIN or whatever and said, open the shades. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, we'll see. So I'm, 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 I'm less convinced on, I'm less convinced for, for stuff I work on, but um, uh, anyway, that's, that's one week I think we can have a bet on. You know? yeah. yeah, but dictation, right? Reports and writing, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal how well that works. Unfortunately, my English is still too much accent somehow. And there's not enough bandwidth on Google as an Android. Either. Yeah, I mean, that's actually an interesting accessibility point because, you know, I find that with, as you look, your English is much better than my, my German, but, but, but I am literally terrified whenever I have to do any kind of um, um, voice uh, recognition in German. You know, um, uh, all my friends can understand my German, but I'm yet to find a, I'm yet to find a voice assistant that can, uh, that can cope with my German. It's just a question of bandwidth, right? And, and Google has the setup, right? It, it shows how, on uh, a different technology, or how fundamentally different the approach from Google is to the competition, right? The, the old way of doing voice was pattern-based, right? You right. would store many patterns, then allow some variation. People would have used text. I mean, Dragon Natural Speaking in the 90s was phenomenal, right? That was, right. was dictating emails of Dragon Natural Speaking, but it was two, three hours of setting things up and they are not to speak another language, right? right and sure. Google just assumes that every Android device is an individual footprint, right? right? Which is the quite cloud-scale approach to the problem. So it really comes back for them to have enough bandwidth to say, hey, we have too many people, if I assume now you have a South African accent in German, to filter that out and find that out, right? They don't have enough uh, German accent speakers in English <laughs> to, uh-uh, to get yeah. me beyond the 90%, but, but speaking German and interesting yeah, so, Italian. So South African, South African German accents, probably, probably, probably less so. All right, yeah. but Holger, but I better wait, wrap wait things up. Wait for the Afrikaans version and you'll be a fan. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, I'm only worrying you. Okay. All right, sir. I'm going to bring this to a close. We have, uh, we're at the top of the hour, which is a good time to end, to, to end things. Olga, it's been super chatting. 
uh, as always, you've got like a million different things going on. And, um, and yeah, I just like talking to you. So it's been fun for the last hour or so. Hopefully a couple other people will enjoy it too. So I hope to see you soon. I hope to see you soon one of these days. Yeah, and hopefully we can ride a bicycle or do something um, uh, do something interesting. I'll do my usual and, and clap you out with some applause. But we'll talk soon, bud. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.